the offering basket. It's, it can just make your day. Just kidding. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen one before. I can tell nobody knows what a Krugerrand here. Okay. Very few. <laughs> What's a Krugerrand to people like us? <laughs> okay. I want to tell you this story about a guy. Uh, actually, true story. And he's from Houston, my hometown. Uh, Larry got himself in a lot of trouble as a young man. Uh, got into drugs and alcohol bad. Got in with the wrong gang and ended up in prison uh, looking at a, a, not a life sentence but, but a lot of his adult life as he was looking to be in prison for much of his adult life and while Larry was in there he heard the gospel and of course you know he grew up in the south like me so there's churches everywhere but he, he just the gospel really never had any relevance to him and he was in prison and uh, everything that looked so attractive that he'd been doing with his life that seemed to be fun and exciting, it, it, it didn't turn out to lead to any place that was going to make any positive impact on his life. And so he gave his life to Jesus, and it started changing him. And he got involved in this discipleship program while he was in prison and started taking classes. And one of the things he learned because of his faith in Jesus, was that he was a unique person that had this identity, and he had gifts and abilities and things that he had never, ever explored. And he just, like, bloomed and came alive while he was in prison. And uh, sure enough, because of the change in his life, you know, like most prisons, they don't want to keep people in prison. They don't pose any threat, what they believe, or any threat to society, and so they paroled him. And uh, in Houston, the only job he could find, because he'd been in prison for a number of years, and his prospects didn't look really great, uh, he, he went to a local church that he had met through this discipleship program, and the church had a halfway type of house, and uh, they kind of got him settled, and he started looking around, like I said, you know, his, his options were limited, so he got a job in a scrap metal yard. And while he's in that scrap metal yard, he, he had developed a lot of character in prison. He had grown a lot. And he ended up uh, getting hired. Didn't look like a great job. But in the first 90 days, he got five raises. And he ended up, because of his work ethic, and, and the, this, the owner of the scrap metal yard just saw this guy is a as a diamond in the rough, he made him the foreman of the whole scrap metal yard. And because of his position, he began to hire people, and he started hiring ex-prisoners, ex-cons. And he ended up hiring 19 of them. And this, this guy's life just turned around, and he was able to impact all these other prisoners who'd come down the same road he had gone down, and uh, it's just an amazing story of, of redemption. But I, I want you to understand something. It wasn't just redemption for his life. The impact that he made went way beyond his life. That Jesus redeemed his life. But what I want to show you today is God is about, his purposes are to redeem people that those people would become, would partner with him 
to restore their cities. So sometimes we just tend to think we, we have such a sort of a small imagination and a small vision in terms of what God's purposes are. We just want to see people change, and that's wonderful. But I want to show you something from, the, from a very familiar passage. In fact, it's a familiar passage because it's quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. But I'm going to read it to you from the Old Testament. And if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open it to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And in the Vineyard Movement, Isaiah 61 is like one of the verses that we feel like are at the heart of uh, what we're called to be as churches. So Isaiah 61 let me see one more. Isaiah 61, hold on, uh, verse 1 to 4. And I'm going to start reading where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. If you're looking for it with one of the loner Bibles, it's page 520. What? It, the, the page number in your Bible, I have no idea. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I want to stop there. God's purposes start with the redemption of people, but that's not the end of it. He wants the redemption of people to lead to the restoration of cities. It's, it's, the, it's literally the, the narrative of the Bible that the Bible starts in a garden and it ends in cities. It ends in a city coming down from heaven, the presence of God breaking into what we know now is the, uh, the demographic trend of the world is to move towards cities. And those cities, though, are devastated. When you get a lot of broken people together, you're going to have a broken environment. And so we see in cities all over the world uh, unrest and injustice and crime and inequality and uh, just all kinds of devastation. And it's just... Every city in the world, you see it. There's not one city I've ever been in, larger city. I've been in London. I've been in all the large cities in the United States. I've been in Rio de Janeiro. I've been in Sao Paulo, Brasilia. Because I've, uh, I've been in Mexico City. Uh, I'm trying to think where else in Mexico. Uh, I've been in Canada and, and uh, gosh, Toronto and uh Edmonton, and uh, I've been all over the place. In every city I've ever been in, I can testify to the fact that cities are broken places. And I've never been in some of the larger cities in Africa or in Asia, but I've read about them, and they're just places of darkness. Then it's not completely dark, but there's they're they're just 
huge swaths of many cities that are just ruined places to live. So this passage says that the Larrys in the world are in God's plan. The Larrys of the world, if you, if you listen closely enough, when I was reading Isaiah 61, Jesus claimed that he was the fulfillment of that passage. And what he said was, this is, this, this, the possibilities of God, of the good news that Isaiah spoke of, of all these people's lives being turned around is fulfilled in me. And those who follow me are going to walk out this purpose that I have. And he was, in a sense, talking about the Larrys of the world. The world is full of Larrys. It's full of people who've made a lot of bad choices. Many of us, that's our story, right? We've made bad choices. And, and maybe you're at the point in your life where you're, you're, you're past picking up the pieces now that, you know, your life is starting to take on a whole new cast. Maybe you're just in the beginning of that here. But what God wants to do, according to Isaiah and according to Jesus, is he wants people to experience what the Jewish people call jubilee, which was this time that God commanded them to observe every 50 years where everybody who had debts, you know what debt's like, right? Everybody who had debts, after the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement was, a, was a, a, a really, really important time in the Jewish New Year. One sacrifice was made for the whole nation. And then a horn would be blown at this, on this 50th year, every 50 years. And at that moment, everybody who had debts, were all the debts were canceled. All the people who held papers were going to forgive the people who they had lent money to and hadn't repaid it. All the people who had become indentured servants, for whatever reason, were freed. And all the property that people had lost over the last 50 years because of bad choices, it was all returned to them. And it was this way of breaking this perpetual cycle of bad choices that led to generational captivity for people. Because we know, some of us from anecdotal evidence, but just from research, that when people start getting into debt, people start getting into problems because of drug and alcohol, it becomes a generational reality. It doesn't just stop with them. Marriages break up, the children in those homes that live in those desperate situations, they tend to reproduce them, and their children reproduce them, and their children reproduce them. And then the communities that, that are marked by those kinds of lives begin to just collapse. And our system, the American system, doesn't do a lot to help that. And most nations don't. Most nations just say, you got yourself in trouble, you got to get yourself out, if, and if you don't have 
the wherewithal to do it. You know, there's welfare, there's social uh, safety nets, but, but that's all we've got for you. But the Jewish people were worshipers of this one true God who loved people, and he saw what human beings do to each other. When human beings see the weak, someone who's weak, just like in the wild, in the animal kingdom, the weak get preyed on. And in the law, God said to the Jewish people, who had all been slaves when the law was given to them, this covenant was given to them, they'd been slaves for 400 years. They knew what it was like. And, and he rescued them from slavery. And then he said, I don't want you to make slaves out of people anymore. I don't want, even if people make slaves out of themselves, I'm putting it into my covenant with you that there's not going to be a perpetual slave class. There's not going to be an underclass. People are going to have opportunities. They're not going to lose their family farms. But if, or if they lose them, they're going to be returned to them. If they lose their homes, it's going to be returned to them. This was a crazy idea. But, but actually, most, most scholars believe that the Jewish people never, ever really celebrated that. Just all, it was a hope. It was a promise. There's a lot of dispute about that, whether it was ever fulfilled. But it was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came along and said, if you believe in me, I'm going to do this for you. All the power of all the bad mistakes that you've made and, and the power they have in your life to keep you going a direction that you can't ever change, it will be broken if you follow me. Its power will be broken and you can go a new way. And I will fund you and resource you and be with you if nobody else does. And history has shown that he does that. But here's the thing. In this, in this passage I read to you, it starts with the redemption of broken individuals. And it talks about the poor, the brokenhearted, the sick, the captives, the prisoners. These are all people. If, you know, if you've ever been around a Larry... And you've ever seen one who's been in prison, someone who's been in prison for any amount of time, it changes you. However bad your life was before you were incarcerated, and being incarcerated for any long period of time makes profound changes in people's attitudes and mindsets. That's why when people research people who have been incarcerated, so many people who've been in jail or prison go back, they reoffend and go back into it. It's, the rates are incredibly high. They call it recidivism. People just, it becomes a revol the justice system becomes a revolving door for people who, once they've been in prison, they go back into prison. Because it changes them. But what Jesus says is, if you follow me, I will change you and undo what the prison system has done to you. And this week I was reading stories about the revivals that are going on in prisons around the world. Do you know that there's prisons around the world where there's revivals going on? There's spiritual awakenings going on in some of the worst prisons in the world. There's a church in Dallas and, you know, like, like larger churches like Vineyard Columbus, they have multi-sites. Like they have the main campus, and then there's a, a site up here at Sawmill. There's one down in Grandview. There's one on the east side, and they're, they're going to plant some more. This church in Dallas has a, one of their 
campuses is in a jail. And one of the prisoners is on their staff. He's the pastor, and it's, it's the fastest growing, most alive of all their campuses. How about that? I mean, that's, that's amazing, but that's the power of the gospel. It's cool that they have a vision, you know, not just to have another satellite, but to have a satellite where it really counts, right? They don't just have a prison ministry. They have a church prison ministry. And churches are, churches are starting to discover this. We haven't grasped the heart of God yet, but he wants to share it with us. And so I want you to understand something. This passage tells us, it names all these really broken people. The poor, the captives, the prisoners, the oppressed, the brokenhearted. Brokenheartedness, we could say it would be, would be forms of mental illness. All these people are the people who are likely to be what we would call the underclass. But what Isaiah saw, this is what prophets would see. This is what Jesus, they, they saw Jesus and what he would do. And they described it. And then Jesus came along and fulfilled it. And the people that follow him begin to fulfill it. But what this passage says, the most shocking thing in this is, it's, it says at the end that cities are going to be restored. And who's going to restore them? Those people who were the underclass, the most broken people. Look at it again. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord anointed me to preach good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, freedom for captives, release from darkness of prisoners, proclaim to hear the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn, provide for those who grieve, bestow on them a crown of ash, a beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. They, the grammar, they, those people, will be called oaks of righteousness. And again, I've said this to you before, but many times in the Old Testament, people of faith are called trees. And it just seems like, oh, that's a pretty analogy. But we don't realize how vital trees are to ecosystems. In fact, if you have a place where there's no trees, it's almost always a desert. It's almost always very barren because what trees do, obviously trees create oxygen. They take in carbon uh, dioxide, which poisons us, and they produce oxygen. So trees take things that are deadly and change them and bring life, things that give life to humans, the flourishing of people. That's what trees do. Trees, their root systems... When it rains, their roots retain water. They, they're a buffer for flooding. They hold water in, in their, their uh, roots and in their limbs. And then they release the water as time goes on. So they, the, the, the ground stays moist longer wherever trees are than it would. So which resists drought. Trees are obviously... Uh, Sources of food for animals and people. 
I mean, on and on and on. It says those people, those broken people will be life-giving parts of their social ecosystem to the point where, again, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore places long devastated, renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Now, this was fulfilled back in Isaiah's time. He was speaking to the exiles, all the people that had been driven out of the nation of Israel because they, their previous generations had been so unfaithful to God. What happened was Isaiah saw God has a purpose for you guys who have been in exile. They came back and they rebuilt Israel. And there was a visible thing because when the Babylonians came and destroyed Israel, they cut down all the trees. That's one of the ways you guarantee that a country you conquer doesn't bounce back. You cut down the trees. You poison the wells. You throw salt on the fields. You ruin it. Israel had no hope. And this, it, the land had stayed like that for generations. There was a few people there. People lived in places like that. They eked out an existence. But when the exiles came back, God said, you're going to be oaks of righteousness. You're going to become trees. See the, the, I want you to see the prophetic imagination that the Spirit of God's trying to plant in us. He's trying to give us a picture. First, of hope for ourselves and people around us, but also hope for our city. Because wherever those trees were planted, they became life-giving. They took poison in, and they produced something that, that caused life to flourish. This is what trees, oaks of righteousness do. And it's the very most unlikely people, the Larrys, who were called to do that. And just imagine, this is the purpose of God. What's happening in prisons is happening in some parts of the world now that have been devastated for generations. There are places in the world where the Larrys are becoming oaks of righteousness in their schools, their local schools. They're starting businesses that benefit their community. They're becoming parts of the justice system and the government. And they're starting to be oaks of righteousness there. We all complain. What do we complain about? Our government. We complain about our educational system. We complain about how badly businesses are run and how uh, the people at the top take the lion's share of everything and the people at the bottom, the working class people, get so little compared to uh, the people at the top. We think of neighborhoods. We think of family systems. We think of criminal enterprises Think of all the things that we complain about. God says, if you can, can embrace the prophetic imagination I'm trying to get you to have, you can partner with me in being 
part of the way I realize this picture in your time and your day. He says over and over, the Spirit of the Lord was on me. The Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus, and now the Spirit of the Lord is on us. And the purposes of God are not just to redeem our lives. They are to restore cities. They are to restore beyond cities whole communities. You know, if you read the book of Acts with, with eyes that look beyond just the redemption of individuals, you will see the beginning of the changes in institutions that are broken. Do you think when Paul and Silas were in that prison and they began to worship God and that prison was shaken and then the warden of that prison was converted do you think that didn't change the way prisoners were treated? He, first of all, he took two of the prisoners, took them to his own house. The men that had been beaten that he put in the lowest hole in the prison in stocks. Like you imagine, you're all beaten up and, and they welcome you into the prison by putting you into stocks, right? You know, you, you, you ever seen those things? They, they hold your, your feet your hands, maybe even your head, and you know, in place. You're all beaten up, and then they humiliate you further with that kind of a treatment. He took him into his house. Don't you think the prisoner suddenly saw, I mean, the, the, the prison warden suddenly saw the people in the prison differently after that? All the stories of the gospel impacting people in the book of Acts, individuals, if you look closely, these people are people who are placed in these important positions. And their conversion sent ripple effects throughout those institutions and those, uh, those social ecosystems. Things started changing. Now, things change slowly, but they start changing. Because Jesus takes the Larrys and the Philippian jailers and all kinds of people and he partners with us. And I want to, what I want to get to that is, I, I, I want you to just think about this because I want to do something just a little bit different to close the service. God's purposes start with the redemption of people, but that is though just the beginning, his goal is the restoration of cities. Again, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, just like in Israel after the exile, where our cities are ruined, where storefronts are boarded up. And I, I remember where I lived in the campus area, there were uh, houses where people sold drugs all around us. My next door neighbor, uh, there were five, uh, on the uh, power lines in front of my house, there were five sets of tennis shoes hung over that power line. That, because my next door neighbor was the local dealer. He was also the local fence. His name was Henry. 
And there were boarded up houses in our neighborhood. And there were houses that were crack houses where people just lived in them. And did drugs and wandered around just looking terrible. That whole area has changed. I'm not, not because of me. Just saying God has a way of getting into areas and starting to redeem people. And then there's redemption and lift. Well, he wants to partner with us. And the way he starts, it, and it's, it's the way that seems the most foolish. It's the way that seems the most unlikely to, to bring about what we're talking about. He starts by inspiring and firing our imagination with po the possibilities. We start seeing things. You know, what we're trying to do this year is go through the Bible. A lot of you have never read the Bible all the way through. And, and we've encouraged you to pick up the Bible project, pick up the app, read scripture. It's free. And just every day, read the, the two or three or four chapters a day and watch some of the videos that, that come up with those to help you understand what you're reading better. And let scripture begin to inform your imagination and when we talk about things like this, and let it lead you to begin to cry out to God to fulfill these promises. And the way he fulfills them is in two ways. This is where I think if you want to pray, this is the simplest way you can pray. You pray for the Spirit to come on us because the key thing there is the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. But, and he's anointing me to proclaim the good news, which is the gospel, to all these people who are hurting and broken, like us. We are them. And then we pray for those people. Almost every morning, the people that pray here uh, before work, pray for people who are in the criminal justice system. Pray for people who are part of the... Uh, you know, drug and alcohol boom in our, in our city. The heroin epidemic, you know, the opioid epidemic. People who are in every kind of difficulty in life, they get prayed for every day. And we need to pray for the Spirit to be on us so that we can lovingly proclaim the hope of the gospel to people around us, to the Larrys of the world, who are us. And then, stuff will start to happen. You would really be surprised how many, if you went back and, and looked at non-governmental agencies, charities and uh, churches and organizations that are trying to serve the community, how many of them were started by Larrys? By people who were really unlikely leaders of, of charitable organizations. Now, sometimes when they grow, you know, other people take them over, but they get birthed by people who the gospel has impacted them. And they're people like us. And what I believe is that God has put in your hearts things that he wants to bring out. And he wants to position you like Larry to make a difference where you are.
And some of us are going to have big footprints. And some of us are going to have small footprints. But he wants all of us to have a, foot, a kingdom footprint where we impact the people, where we live and work and learn and play. You know, that's on posters around here. And we say it all the time. And so what I want to close with, and, and Adam, if you could just come up and play in the background. What I want to close with this morning is this. Different ones of you have people that, that you, you know, they're on, your, they're on your heart because they're on God's heart. God's put you in their lives and, and put them in your life. And some of these might not be people in the United States. Some of these might be people in other countries. Some of them might be your neighbors. But some of you have been touched by the opioid epidemic. Some of you have been touched by divorce. Some of you have been touched by job loss. Some of you have been touched by, uh, you know, bad illnesses. And people can have a real serious illness and it can just wreck their lives. They can lose everything. A lot of us live on the edge of economic ruin. And if you can't work because you get sick, even if you have health insurance, you can, you can get into enough debt and you can, be, you can be sick enough that you can't work and then you can lose everything. Back in the day when we used to cook every Thursday night down at the women's shelter, we would meet women down there who had professional backgrounds. But things happen in their lives, especially drug and alcohol addiction. And they just, their life came apart and they're homeless. And we all hear about the homeless problem right now. That's another thing we can pray for. Governments do not have an answer for that. They don't. The homeless problem in our country is getting worse every single year. So what I want to ask you to do, as Adam is playing, is if you have something on your heart, I want you to take a stand on the promises of God here, and I want you to pray, cry out to God for what he's put on your heart. I believe the Lord's going to start a spirit of prayer in our church around his promises and his purposes. Because if God says there's, there's a promise, in that promise is a picture of his purpose. And he has purposes for the Larrys of the world that we do not have enough money in our government to help. I don't mean we don't have enough money. We have enough money to, to, to do anything. But money is not the answer, ultimately. Problems are at their root. They're always a spiritual problem. Always. We have an answer for that. God has an answer for that. And there is resources that people need. But they need Jesus first. And so I want to ask you, as, as Adam's playing, quietly in the background. See? Good worship leader. I just we're just gonna just leave some space here before we dismiss to pray. And we don't have to have 60 of us pray, but I think we have to have a few of us. And I believe the spirit, like Jay was saying, the spirit of hope 
the spirit of promise, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the sovereign Lord that makes the Larrys of the world into oaks of righteousness that begin to rebuild and repair and restore. God partners with us as we cry out to him to move in their lives. So we're just going to leave some space for that. And don't worry about how you sound. God knows your heart. Just pray what he's putting on your heart, whatever it sounds like. You could pray for the super rich. The, the super richest people in our country often are the poorest in spirit. They're the richest in resources and they're the poorest in spirit. And Jesus loves them. No matter how honorary they may be at times, he loves them as much as he loves the poor of the world. Let's just keep that in mind.